Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast and joining me and co-host Stephen Kerr, by the way, 65 plus years in sports journalism between the two of us. Joining us is good friend of the show and USA Today Texans analyst, John Crumpler. Welcome back, John and Stephen. I don't care what they say. Don't believe these Crumpler and Amber Rose rumors. That's just a bunch of garbage. <laughs> yeah, I don't believe them either. Uh, very funny. Thanks for having me on, guys. You bet. Hey, good to have you. And a quick reminder to everybody out there that uh, we've got a Houston Arrows teammate of Gordy Howe joining us later in the show to talk about Hockey Day in Houston this Saturday. But we've got to start with the Texans free agency because we've been making our way through the Texans positions of need, trying to come up with top five potential free agent targets that either get us excited or at least maybe a realistic fit that we think is going to be for the Texans. Um, and we're doing this at every single position this week, John, we want to hit on the linebackers because Christian Harris is the only returning starter under contract as we speak. So I wanted to ask you, who's your number one free agent linebacker target? Anybody stick out for you? Yeah, and I think the linebacker equation, it's almost one that I think has been undersold in the Texans discourse. Of course, head coach D'Amico Ryans finished the year talking about that they had to improve the front. And you cannot forget how the linebackers contribute to that. On that note, I, I do think there's some really good players set to hit in this free agent class. And one that I'm watching closely right now, trying to see if he'll re-sign with the Carolina Panthers, is Frankie Louvu. Uh, Frankie Louvu had 125 total tackles, five and a half sacks, 10 tackles for loss this past year. And I think fans will remember him, number 49, just terrorizing the Houston Texans during that unfortunate loss in Charlotte. He's a guy that transitioned from edge to an inside linebacker a year ago prior to, I guess, the second to last coaching staff in Carolina to be there. Uh, but I think he's someone, he was a green dot player for the Carolina Panthers that could come in, play the run at a high level, add a different dynamic with, as a blitzer, and also be really rock solid in coverage as someone that could play all the snaps in nickel next to Christian Harris. John, do you think it is it realistic that the Texans would step up and get someone like him, especially if he does have that versatility? Yeah, let me add that his estimated market value is $11.2 million over four years. The Panthers have other big free agent decisions. So you wonder everything being equal, John, does he want to play in Houston? Or Carolina. <laughs> well, apparently, my understanding is he has a good relationship with the team. And uh, Mike Kay, one of the Charlotte Observer writers, uh, was talking last week that he's currently negotiating with the team. But it is going to be a question of dollar signs. That's what every player wants to know about. And the Panthers are in a tough spot. With It looks like they're going to have to tag Brian Burns. They can't agree to a number with him. Defensive tackle Derek Brown is not someone you ever want to let hit the market. They're going to need to work on an extension with him. And then they got to find weapons for Bryce Young. So I think this is someone, especially like you said, if his market value comes in around 10 to $12 million, that could be a hard investment for a new coaching staff, especially one that was brought in to salvage the offense to make for an off-ball linebacker. And is it realistic, Stephen, you ask? I think it would be realistic, especially if in a situation where maybe Houston is not able to make the level of impact additions and free agency that they want to make on the front four. An easy way to still come out feeling really good about your front is if you know you're going to put a guy like Luvu there just because he is going to clean up so well in the running game. I think it's an investment. Uh, I'll never forget Miko's opening press conference. He said he loves his backers. And of course, he used that to talk about not needing to force it. But I think this would be an example where you could put the resources in and feel really good that you're going to get your full return back. Yeah, he's a great story. Just 27 years old. So he's right in the heart of his prime. He was an undrafted guy. And he's number one on me and Steven's list, too. So let's go to your number two guy. 
Yeah, so my number two, two guy is going to be Aziz Alshire from the Tennessee Titans. He had 163 total tackles, nine tackles for loss, and two sacks. This was someone who reportedly last year, there was a lot of ties to would he come to Houston as someone who uh, blew up playing next to Fred Warner and learning under D'Amico Ryans those previous two years in San Francisco. And after a one-year stint in Tennessee, I think he could come in as a very obvious placement next to Christian Harris. I do think there's a little overlap in their skill set there, and I think for a lot of the guys we're going to talk about, that's going to be the case. And he's someone that you could really trust to play the run game. He's not a complete liability and passing coverage, and he would allow Christian Harris to continue to grow and grow into a bigger role as we wait to see if he's going to hit that super, that superstar level at linebacker. If he does sign with the Texans, can we give him a nickname? <laughs> something, something we can pronounce, maybe. <laughs> but, uh, like uh, Aziz will be pretty easy. Aziz, yeah, that's easy enough. Yeah, he's on my list. I call him a, a young 26, which is a good advantage to him because he sat behind a ton of talent early in his career, so not much tread on the tire. But last year, busted out fifth most tackles in the NFL, which was the most by that franchise. Stephen will love this uh, little trivia question. By that franchise since Houston Oilers legend Ray Childress. Childress. Back yes. in 1986. Uh, his do you remember Ray Childress? Yeah. yeah um, his projected contract, by the way, um, John, is um, three years, $6.75 million, uh, according to Pro Football Focus. So that, that seems like a pretty good value, too. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, if you're getting him at seven, like right under $7 million a year and you can lock him up for that long, I think that would be a great deal for the Houston Texans as kind of a set it and forget it at their other inside linebacker position. Who do you have third on your list? Uh, third is going to be a familiar name. I'm going with Blake Cashman. 106 tackles for the Texans last year, nine tackles for loss, two sacks. I think we all saw how well Cashman played, especially as Christian Harris started to evolve towards the second half of the season. I thought he was an easy complimentary piece. Uh, he comes in third in my list. I still think the coaching staff showed you that they wanted a couple of different things from that linebacker position. Of course, Denzel Perryman was still playing a good bit, but obviously Blake Cashman, he was the guy next to Christian Harris on nickel packages. I think he'd be pretty reasonable to re-sign, and he is someone that played well in the system last year. Yeah, he's someone that I I have him. You know, I would love for him to resign. I think you know last year was definitely his breakout year. Can he can you know can he keep it up? You know, one year is is not necessarily you know indicative of what your career is going to be, but he's familiar with the system and he could just you know step back in and keep the rhythm going. So I really would like to see him back if they can if they can agree on something. He should be cheap because you right. know he he's had the injury issues and you know that's got to be taken into account. And he flourished here, so you would think you know he wants to be back in the same system. You think he he, he likes it here as well you know if you look at the list of linebackers overall uh john i was looking at pro football focus and how they ranked them blake cashman's number nine on that list just to, to put it into perspective yeah i just think he's someone that should be a very reasonable resign, and you already know what he brings to that pairing so that that kind of vaulted him up the list for me who's next on your list I said Jordan Brooks from the Seattle Seahawks, 111 total tackles last year, four and a half sacks. Uh, I was watching a little bit of his all 22 today and he plays the run so, so well. I mean, you talk about improving that front seven, especially in the context of that quote, it was about how bad the run defense was in Baltimore and some of those big games down the stretch. Indianapolis in week 18 would be another one. I think he's someone you put him next to Christian Harris and he's going to improve the strength of that front as well. I do have some concerns about coverage for him. I don't think that's necessarily the strength of his game, but Brooks is a plus plus run defender. I think he'd come in at a very reasonable cost and could play the middle linebacker spot next to Christian Harris. You know, one thing I think is good for the Texans is that some of these names on the list that we've been talking about, including Jordan Brooks, do play the run game well. And that's something, yeah, they improved on it last year, but when they got up against, you know, the, the really good teams toward the end and in the playoffs, yeah, did not so much. So if they could just grab any one of these guys simply based on that, you know, that's certainly helpful. Yeah, it's interesting. You you, you chose him of the Seattle guys, John, because I, I had Bobby Wagner. Yeah, I had him back to back, actually. And, and I, I put Bobby Wagner, I guess, because I, I just felt he's a potentially cheap option. They're talking about him maybe one year, $5 million. 
I mean, he's older, obviously 34, but of course he's got championship experience. Uh, He also like Jordan Brooks, not great in pass coverage. I think Wagner's slipped a little bit in recent years in pass coverage, but he led the league in tackles last year, you know, at 33 or 34, which is pretty incredible. And they graded him at an 82.4 pro football focus did. So I I had what, did you even have Wagner on your list? I did not. I think his decline in pass coverage is too evident that, that he serves as as long as Wagner's on the field, he's a weakest link in terms of how you want to attack the ball vertically. So I left him off of that. So let's go ahead. Just for fun, I, I feel like he's is the big name on the market and we had to talk about him. Patrick Queen from the Baltimore Ravens yeah. coming off a second team all pro year, pro bowl year, 133 total tackles, three and a half sacks. I mean, what is there to say about Patrick Queen? He had an excellent year playing next to Roquan Smith. He, I mean, that's been the best linebacker duo in football since they put those two together in Baltimore. Obviously, he has some relations with um, Derek Stingley, like the LSU connections with those guys. And I think he would excel in D'Amico Ryan's scheme. The reason I have him at five, though, is uh, I do think he would be very, very expensive. And he's not necessarily someone that adds – when we talk about a Frankie Louvu, I think he's a real plus in coverage, and he brings that blitz dynamic in addition to playing the run. Well, I think, Queen, there would be some redundancies to Christian Harris, at least what Harris looks like right now, and it would be really, really expensive. So I, Queen's at number five just because I think we do have to talk about him. Well, it's interesting because I, I was wondering why he was further down on the list for some of the other uh, analysts like Pro Football Focus and some of the others I've looked at. And it, it's, you know, for some of the things – what would you say is – the biggest reason that maybe he's not in the top three for my list or for how other people have ranked for how other people have ranked him i would imagine i mean i guess they're not really taking into account cost i think roquan smith is the engine that makes that defense go in terms of how those linebackers played how they exchange responsibilities what especially what coverage responsibilities look like and i think there are going to be some fair question marks about what does queen look like when you take smith out of that equation because the last time we saw him without roquan on the field which was the first half of 2022, he was not this Pro Bowl caliber player that we're talking about. So is he an NFL starter for a lot of teams? Absolutely. But are you going to get what you're paying for? And certainly what you're paying for will be you're expecting elite off-ball linebacker production if you go to get um, Patrick Queen. And I think there might be questions about what exactly does he look like when he's not playing next to Superman. Yeah, Spotrak has his value at five years, 18.5 per year, because you know he's only 24. I think that plays into the equation as mm-hmm. far as cost hitting the market after his fourth season as an ex-first-round pick. I mean, that's pretty amazing to have a first-round pick hit the market like that. It's also worth noting that he was the guy that – or he a guy that he pushed, I should say, to the Ravens. He was trying to get them to draft Derek Stingley, his teammate at LSU. They were on that championship team together. And I don't know if you caught this, Crump, but uh, this past week he tweeted – Stingley did – the eyes emoji and then tagged queen on it. So I don't know what that meant, but uh, everything's going about. on maybe. <laughs> I did not see that, but it is a, it is officially foolishness season on social media with trying to create links to free agency. Yeah. I think uh, the, the main headline today was that Saquon followed Brevin Jordan. So I, I do love all of the, uh, the, spe- the speculation about what the players are doing on social media, but yeah, queen and Stingley. I mean, it appears they have a great relationship and he would fill an obvious need. It's just a question of cost. And what do you think he's adding to the dimension with Christian Harris? Stephen, was there anybody else on your list? That was pretty much it. I mean, I, I know Levante David was ranked pretty high, but I just, you know, with his age, I, I wasn't even sure. Yeah, I, I didn't even think too much about him because, you know, he has so many ties to Florida and uh, very in with the community there. I, I didn't see the, I didn't see him as a realistic pickup for the Texans when I was trying to rank these guys for the, for the Texans list. Yeah, I saw that, you know, he's been very durable though, even though he's again, 34, he's like yeah, Bobby he Wagner. Has. But, you know, he's had at least 87 tackles every single year. He's had his highest tackle total in nine years just this last year. He's versatile enough to play inside or outside, which is pretty cool. It would be a rare inside linebacker for the Texans who has 
covered pretty good in his career and is still, I think, decent at covering John. I don't know if, what you think about that, but the championship pedigree also. He's, As I say, he's a Super Bowl champion. So he's, a, he's a fabulous player. I just assume that, and uh, I follow Luke Easterling on Twitter pretty closely to try to get a, a handle on what the Bucks, how they're operating. And he seems pretty convinced. And I think it makes sense as well, like that Levante will retire a Buccaneer. So he kind of yeah. fell similar to the, the Bobby Wagner bucket for me, where Another part of the Wagner equation is I don't understand why he leaves Seattle after finally come after coming back. I think he spent one year with LA. So those are guys that I think the price tag that it would take the any surplus value that we think might be generated with what their deals project, what you'd have to pay to get them out of those situations where they've had, you know, pseudo Hall of Fame caliber careers. I think you would lose that there. Yeah, that's kind of where I was thinking. Because I actually had the chance to interview Levante David a few years ago for a magazine I was writing for. And, you know, he he does, I, I don't know if he still does this now. But uh, he did a backpack uh, to school type of thing for the kids. He's just very, very deeply rooted in Florida. So that's that's why I didn't really put him on my list with the Texans. John, we've already gone through running back, wide receiver, and defensive tackle free agent options. Are, are there any of the big names in those position groups that you could see the Texans spending major money on? I mean, the running back is probably the one that everybody's talking about. But even defensive tackle, you know, is there anybody out there? For running back, of course, the big names are Saquon Barkley and Josh Jacobs. And I do think the Texans could justify spending that type of money at the running back position. They've already, I would say, maxed out their credit card on what they're allowed to spend on the offensive line. And now it's just waiting to see, does that investment improve over time? And you have to hope that Kenyon Green's going to take a step forward, that this whole line with the scheme will take a, a step forward in the second year. It's happened to a lot of these other Shanahan teams in year two. But in the meantime, if you want to try to optimize that without adding to the line, paying for a Jacobs, a Barkley. I think that would be justifiable. You bring up defensive tackle. I wrote a piece today. If Justin Matabike hits the market, that is someone that I would pursue heavily. I think he changes the dynamics of what he's yeah, he was on our list. Today. And yeah. I would actually put Matt, if you have to pick between Matabike or Grenard, I would I would chase Matabike over Grenard just because defensive tackles of that caliber do not ever hit the market. And I'm sure that by maybe even by the time this is released, uh, he'll get franchise tagged by the Ravens. But that's one that I'm watching pretty closely just because if anybody screams fix the front, like D'Amico talked about, it would be Matabike. Yeah, Robert, didn't you have him as your, in one of your top three, I think? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think yeah. anybody would love to have. And the other part about the franchise tag, is there anybody, John, that the Texans you could see franchise tagging? I mean, we haven't talked hardly at all about that, but is there anybody that you would think? I think the number that they would franchise tag Jonathan Grenard at would be too high for them to be comfortable franchise tagging him. Dalton Schultz's number, I think, would be around $12 million. That They're not going to be negotiating anywhere near that number towards the total value of the contract, So, or at least the APY of the contract. So for me, I would not expect the Texans to franchise tag anybody. I don't think it makes sense. I don't think there's anyone that is close enough to securing a contract like at that number that you're going to be comfortable for, but maybe they do it to buy time for a, a long-term, a guy like Schultz 12 would still be pretty reasonable, but I don't think they want to carry any of those kind of cap hits into 2024 when this is a team loading up for a potential Super Bowl. Yeah. I tend to agree with you on all that. And you know, the, the thing is we're recording this at 520, just so people know this on Tuesday. So if there are franchise tags that come out afterwards, you know why we haven't mentioned uh, some of those, but um you mentioned you, you got the Matabike piece. Is there anything else that you're working on right now, John? I currently, like, I've gone through a little film on Christian Wilkins. I want to write about him. I think he's in, he's not quite in the Chris Jones, Justin Matabike tier, but if they want to make an investment in defensive tackle, Christian Wilkins is a real good player, has had some good years in Miami. I've been watching him right now. And I'm also working on a piece on Mike Evans. I think the real discussion with him is the financial one, but there is also, there's some people who push back on the idea that he would fit with this team. And I've been going through the All 22 to try to make an argument that. 
I don't think it matters if you don't have someone that can play the slot when everybody can play slot 33% of the time. And that's kind of what it would be adding Mike Evans and that dimension he might add if they did reunite. I think there's a, a surprising amount of noise with a potential Mike Evans, uh, Houston Texans link up. But I, that's the, the two pieces I'm working on right now. Yeah, we keep hearing about Mike Evans. I'm just curious from your perspective, can the Texans afford Mike Evans and one of these defensive linemen, either Grenard or somebody else? I do not think they could afford two investments over $20 million per year. I just don't know where Grenard's going to come in. Like, I think he has a pretty massive variance to, I think, I mean, I could see 16 million. I could see 19. It's just, is a team going to come into Grenard's market and really bump it up? And what kind of situation does he want to be in? Is there a world where Grenard would prefer a one-year contract somewhere else to try to see what his numbers look like when he is the premier number one edge rusher on the team compared to, I think a lot of people talk about him in comparison to playing with Will Anderson. So could they sign both? I'm sure they could, but would that require probably no free agent running back or no Dalton Schultz? Yes. And, I don't know if that's the path you see the the team going down. If they if they I think they can afford one premium investment. And I imagine that comes on the defensive side of the football. Yeah, I've even heard some people say maybe franchise tagging Schultz. Is that worth you don't think that's worth it at all, huh? I mean you could. I just wouldn't want to carry Schultz on the salary cap as a twelve million dollar charge this year. I would want to extend him probably for a three year period and play down those charges over the next two years just to try to build this thing up because the Texans have a a real shot to to make some noise in twenty twenty four. Well, that's great stuff, John. If you don't know by now, he's at John H. Crumpler on X. And always great to catch up with you. Thanks for giving us a few minutes, man. Absolutely. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Robert. You bet. Well, Stephen, before we get to our hockey guest that's coming up, a couple of quick Astros notes that I want to bring up to you. Jeremy Pena has changed his batting stance. Not as much movement, no more bat wiggle. Uh, if you miss the Jeremy Pena bat wiggle this year, I'm sorry to tell you it's 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 gone it's for now. On. Uh, he's working on bringing the power back, man. Well, he certainly needs to. I mean, you know, I think I said it on the last podcast, Robert. Jeremy Pena needs to get back to being the Jeremy Pena hitter that we were used to at the end of the 2022 season. And, you know, I mean, I think it's interesting. We hear every year, especially when spring training gets started, you start hearing and seeing things how this guy is, has totally revamped his swing in the offseason. And this guy has bulked up 20 pounds and he's stronger and he's up. I mean, it's it's exciting to hear about. Now, you know, you get in the action and then you find out, who really has, you know, successfully put in the work or not. But you know, Jeremy Pena is one guy that I just think he he really needs to get back what he had before as far as hitting. I mean, his defense, I'm not worried about that. But I need to see more power because, what, after July, the first part of July, he didn't have a single home run, not even through the postseason. And that's something definitely has to change, Robert. Yeah, it's going to be a focus, but it's got to be weird. Like your whole career and all of a sudden, you know, you got to change your batting stance after your second year in the major leagues after doing this same thing all that time. It's just, it's got to be hard. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it is. And it's just like a pitcher, you know, trying to change his mechanics on a certain pitch. And, you know, hitters go through that too. But, you know, it's part of the adjustment that you have to do in the major leagues, especially if, if you want to stay in the lineup and, and hit decently or, you know, better than decently. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if Jeremy, you know, does kind of adapt to what he's been working on. You know, Alex Bregman, he's been working on his swing too. And, says he feels stronger and better than he ever has, that he actually had a healthy offseason where he could devote more time to training. So these guys say that. We'll see what happens when the regular season gets here. All right. I don't know about anybody else, but I'm kind of gotten bored with the will they or won't they extension talk, uh, Bragman or Tucker or Fromm or whoever. But Stephen, you know what I never get bored of? And I know you never get bored of this either. Bored of talking about Jose Abreu adding Pilates over the offseason. <laughs> no, definitely not. And and how could we get bored about Alex Bregman and his wife coming out with a, a new a food 
especially I think you're calling it Wild Soul or something like that. Oh, he's yeah. got more than the salsa bomb now. It's a, yeah, it's a... yeah. They're they're rocking the Wild Soul now. So no, the Pilates, the Wild Soul. I, I'm definitely not. I'm never be bored of talking about that. What else uh, is going on with the Astros? Is there anything that you've noticed uh, news-wise out there? I, I, you know, to me, it's like uh, I'm kind of ready. Let's get to the spring training games. I want to see actual like guys doing stuff now. <laughs> well, I think there are more questions than news, Robert. You know, because we've talked and we've talked about a lot of them, and I think they just need to get into the exhibition games. I think they start this weekend and just see what you have. I'm, I'm going to be interested to see because I, I think what's going to happen, at least for the first few games, you're going to see a lot of the prospects, a lot of the non-roster invitees coming in, getting some action. You know, most of these guys aren't going to stick, but it's just interesting to see who might break through that you might want to take a, a better look at. So as far as news is concerned, nothing really big, you know, other than Ryan Presley agreeing that Josh Hader is going to make the team better. Well, what else was he going to say, right? So I think they just need to get in the exhibition games, get some looks, and then maybe we'll have some more things to talk about. Yeah, we'll definitely look forward to that. And we're also just pumped, as could be, about the Cougs' two huge wins over the weekend, the stomp of the Longhorns and the revenge game against number 6 Iowa State, a, an incredibly rare two top 10 teams playing at U of H, which is surprisingly uh, a small amount of time that we've actually seen, a small amount of games that we've actually seen that happen. So that was pretty cool. I'm going to save that conversation, though, for Thursday. One of our regular UH insiders will join me for a full show, including the start of the Willie Fritz era. So it's oh, not just going to be basketball, but uh, also some football too. And make sure to look for that this Thursday. But right now, let's talk some hockey. Welcome back to the show, Jack Stanfield, a member of the World Hockey Association champion Houston Arrows. And in case you missed it, a few months ago, we talked about the Arrows' incredible history in the 70s and his Arrows teammate, Gordie Howe. It's definitely worth going back and listening to. But Jack, I'm excited to have you back because if you're a fan of hockey and you live in the Houston area, there is a great event coming up this Saturday, right? It's uh, pretty exciting, and it's part of USA's hockey. They have a, every year they have a hockey week. You know, it's really a celebration of hockey all across the U.S. The, the guys here in Houston, there's a group of business guys that formed an organization, Hockey Players in Business, and they got behind an effort during that week to have a day of celebration and all the rink owners and the people involved in hockey were having a huge hockey day, hockey watch, you know, a hockey game in the afternoon. I think Detroit's playing. Some of the players are coming back. Raskowski's going to be here. You know, we've got a group of, of hockey players. We've got programs for kids. It's a free and it's at St. Arnold's. You know, it's over on, uh, I think it's 2000 Lions Avenue, close to downtown. You, you know, hockey players are beer drinkers. Right? <laughs> <For sure. laughs> yeah. so, so that's pretty appropriate, <laughs> I think. Uh, and St. Arnold's have been uh, very supportive of hockey and all our efforts, even around uh, uh, the Arrows uh, celebration that we had in September. So it's going to be a fun day. Uh, there's things for youth hockey. There's things for inline uh, skating, everything around hockey. You know, I don't know whether you know or not, but like the University of Houston has a hockey team. You know, I, I, I didn't know that. <laughs> and and so there are a lot of things going on around hockey in the city of Houston that we want to celebrate. Yeah. And there's going to be a Zamboni, right? Kids can take pictures. Yeah. Of the yeah. They're going to be able to sit in the Zamboni and they're, they're putting all kinds of uh, hockey memorabilia on the Zamboni, I think. And yeah, there's just so many different activities. And uh, and then the, the rink owners here, you know, there's four rinks around town and uh, a lot more going on than, than uh, I think people in general know. And so we're trying to raise the profile. I think with our celebration around the Arrows championships and in, in the 70s and in the 90s and the early 2000s, those four championships need to be celebrated. 
You know, it's it's part of uh, Houston sports his history. And I think that's something we should be proud of. The city should be proud of. And this is a great way to do it because it's free. I mean, people can come. It's it, it's a it's just a, a, a day of celebration. You're going to be out there too with some other players I, as well? I will. There's, uh, as I said, Terry Ruskowski, who was, uh, you know, Ruskowski was captain. Terry didn't play on the first 73, 74 team. He came the next year. And Gordy was still here. He was part of the 74-75 championship. And then later on was a coach of, I think, the International Hockey League championship that was the Arrows here in Houston. So he's been a part of those four championships in a variety of ways. There's uh, some NHL players that are coming. The Dallas Stars are sending down I think some, of the, some of their people that run their programs are coming down to lend a hand to support. You know, we want a hockey team here in Houston, but <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I was going to ask you is the questions always asked. Is there any hope to bring the NHL to Houston? What can you tell us? And even a minor league team. I mean, we used to have the minor league arrows here. In fact, I, I talked to a friend of mine that um, last week, uh, that that's a business guy that was interested. He said, what about an American hockey league team again? You know, uh, I, I think facilities are the biggest challenge, you know, having the right uh, building to play in, you know, the arrows were downtown where the Rockets are, but the Rockets pretty much have that building booked. Uh, and there isn't really a quality arena for hockey. And, and that's one of the challenges. But I do know there are some efforts. There are some people. There is a lot of interest. This is a third or fourth largest city in the U.S. It should, <laughs> should have and should have had an NHL team here a long time ago. But um, we're hoping that all of the enthusiasm that we build up and building that community around hockey and celebrating it is going to be part of uh, raising the pro profile. Well, it sounds like a great event. I tried to dress a little bit hockey for I you. Like I, don't have, I don't have the hockey hat. I don't have anything hockey hat, but this is an expo, so it's a little Canadian at least. But the jersey I'm wearing, I don't know if, if people can tell, this is a uh, original Team USA Miracle on Ice jersey, Michael Ruzioni. And before we got started, you were telling me your brother played with the Ruzioni, right? Yeah, my, my uh, fifth brother, Vic, was an amazing hockey player. And he went to college at BU. And as a freshman, Jackie Parker, who was a the coach there, uh, asked, brought him up, which was rare. For, for a freshman, usually in college hockey, you don't get to play <laughs> with the big guys. But he, they called Vic up, and, and then they went on with the Ruzioni as one of his teammates. They went on to win the NCAA championship. So that's not a bad way to start your hockey uh, college career. The, 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 the other one, I think I told you, may have told you this before, my brother Fred was a hockey player with the Bruins and, and won two Stanley Cups. But when they opened the Fleet Center, my brother Vic got put in the inaugural, because he had won the Beanpot Most Valuable Player Award three consecutive years, he was selected along with the Rizzioni to be inducted as a college player representative in the Hall of Fame in the new Fleet Center. My brother Fred, having won two Stanley Cups, wasn't in the inaugural. Bobby Orr was, I think, in Esposito. So <laughs> this is the family call. Hey, hey, Fred, <laughs> how come Vic? How come, didn't you win two Stanley Cups? <laughs> and, and Vic's in the Hall of Fame? What, what's going on? <laughs> but anyway, it's going to be, I think it's going to be fun. I would invite anybody that's got interest or wants to learn more about hockey. You know, uh, come on out this Saturday and, and, and enjoy a day of fun. There's going to be lots of displays, lots of information. A hockey game on a big screen, you know, that Detroit's playing. And, and it's, for me, hockey's a great game for kids. I mean, it, it is one of the most fun sports to play for a kid. You know, so if you if you got a youngster, you want to get them into something that, you know, requires discipline, but challenges their mind. 
because the game of hockey is like soccer. Basically, it's soccer on ice, and it's a great, just a fun game. I mean, as much as I've done in business over the years, I still consider myself a hockey player. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I don't think of myself as, uh, well, I mean, certainly business was an important part of my career, but, but, um, but I still consider myself a hockey player. Where can fans go if they want some more information on Hockey Day in Houston? I'm sure some I think you just Google Hockey Hockey Day in Houston, it'll come up. It's uh, it's all over the place. And again, it's this Saturday. Um, can't tell you how much I enjoy talking to you as always, Jack, and look forward to, to Saturday with a lot of fun stuff for hockey fans out there. It should be great. It should be great. Thanks. Appreciate it. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.